Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, I chat with Nikki Marco, mother of 16-year-old Angelina, who has a rare disease called Lafora, and the only diagnosed case in Australia. If this story doesn't break your heart, you are not human. Following that, we have Beach Banner, and then I go to the mailbag to answer questions from the fans. Now let's have a listen to my chat with Nikki. Okay, this week in the Beach Shack, we've got Nikki Marku, who has a daughter that we'll get into and talk about, but really, it's a story that uh, will be close to breaking people's hearts, and I think that, uh, you know, if you don't break your heart with this story, I think uh, you're probably not human. So I just want to welcome now into this Beach Shack is uh, Nikki Marku. Nikki, thanks for coming on and, and telling your story. It's not the easiest story to uh, to tell, but I think we need to get the message out there to the community that one, what people are dealing with, what the parents deal with, and then also yeah. these diseases that I'd say majority of people around the world don't even know that exist. So your daughter, Angelina, so let's paint the picture. We'll, we'll go back and, and you, you tell the story about Angelina where she was just a normal kid and suddenly, bang, everything went wrong. Things changed. Well, thanks for having me firstly. Yes, my daughter grew normally until she was 14 and a half. Um, normal at school, decent grades, you know, very, very smart, was into everything, you know, inside of school, outside of school, volunteering, you name it. You know, busy, happy child, no problem, um, until one day she fainted, or so we thought, because it was unwitnessed by the teachers and her friends. She was in a corridor. They found her at school camp. And um, now we know that that was her first seizure. And um, over the following week, she just kept dropping things until three weeks later she actually had a seizure in my arms. It was t- totally terrifying. Um, I'd never seen one before in my life, you know, not in the medical field at all. Um, so, I, you know, and we hadn't really had anyone ill in the family to be witness to anything like that. So it was quite hor- horrific um, in our eyes and didn't know what was going on, you know. And then by that stage, that was a couple of weeks after and we'd been escalating um, appointments, you know, rushed to hospital, got to finally see a neurologist and they put it down to epilepsy. She's just got epilepsy. It's a late onset, you know, that comes in adolescence, but medication wasn't working. So over nine months, we were trying all different medication. It didn't work. And so she was admitted into hospital to do further testing. And um, with that testing, they were trying different medications. They did the video EEG um, where they stick the tubes on your on your head and see your brain waves. And there was unusual activity. So they escalated to do genetic testing and do all these different types of tests. 
It took two and a half months. During that time, she was still having very uncontrolled seizures and we were trying different medications every five days to see what we could do because it just didn't seem to be normal epilepsy. So that was a big, big eye-opener because I honestly just thought it was uncontrolled epilepsy. They just hadn't found the right medication. The genetic tests came back. Um, It is a, a gene mutation and um, it came back as Lafora disease. Now, Lafora disease is a glycogen storage disease, so her body cannot store glycogen. Um, It's ultra rare. She is the only one in Australia with this disease. Um, And there are many other children with rare diseases that are just one-offs. And um, with with this, you're you're the only person. You know, the medical field don't know what to do they're learning they're trying to see what they can do as well as there's no awareness for parents when I was out there they got told me she's got Lafora disease where do I go who where do I find information from I was doing google searching I couldn't find nothing what supports did I have I couldn't find any Mm. um, other than just the hospital supports that were you know all also learning about rare diseases so this disease brings on epilepsy seizures because her body can't store the glycogen and the glycogen actually attacks the nerve cells. It attacks it in the brain, it attacks it in the heart, and it attacks it in the spine. Mm. And it gives her three different types of seizures. So the most common seizures that we all know are the tonic-clonic seizures. But the other seizures she has are absent seizures, which are quick blinking, and it also can be long stares as well. So they're like they're daydreaming. So you just think that someone's just daydreaming or having a quick blink, but they're actually having seizures. The mm. other ones are like shaking in the hands. So they're, they're called myoclonic seizures. So they're sort of like, they look like um, Alzheimer's. So many, many years ago, they would sort of say it's like Alzheimer's in children, but it's actually not. It's a glycogen storage disease. So she would have all of those. So when the absent seizures and the myoclonic seizures come at once and the frequency when it gets really strong and uncontrolled when you are not on some sort of medication, it's like electric shocks in your body. And when she was uncontrolled in hospital and we didn't know what, it was like she was having, um, she was getting chills from the electric shocks. And um, we were trying a lot of different medications to to get her stabilised until we ended up in ICU on a midazolam infusion, which is um, which stopped them thankfully um, temporarily. And then we found some sort of similar medications to keep her from having those seizures. While we worked with researchers and and doctors that did know something around the world, that it's so rare and it's very very scary. Mm. And not only that, it brings cognitive decline. So since that hospital visit of two and a half months, trying to you know figure out what was going on and, and constant seizures that she can't read and write anymore. She has ataxia, which is sort of she can't walk properly because there's been damage to the frontal lobe of her brain. She's highly sedated a, a lot of the time as well because that's the only way to reduce the seizure frequency because the higher that they are, the, the more dangerous they are. So it, um, it can be very fatal if, they, if the frequency stays quite high. Right. Um, there is no cure at all. Um, they are working on a few treatments around the world, but um, they just keep getting delayed. Clinical trials keep getting delayed. We were waiting on a, a trial this year and it got pushed back for another year. With Lafora disease patients, one year is too long. Right, yeah. 
obviously it's it's a bit of trial and error then. The doctors aren't 100% because they're still researching this disease to work out what the best way to treat it. So Jesus, a mother, I mean, I've got two daughters that are you now 23 and 18, and I just can't imagine going through what you've gone through. How tough was that? Like when doctors, it was frustration that, you know, that there's a disease out there, you don't know what it is. Doctors don't really know how to treat it. Geez, that must have been frustrating as a parent. Yes, yes. Well, you know, you not being in the medical field, you go in hospital and think the doctors have the answers, so Mm. to speak. So you're sitting there, you know, waiting on them, waiting on them, waiting on them. And it just was like, oh, okay, you don't know. Okay, okay. Oh, no, we're in trouble. And you didn't, until they sort of started panicking, you know, sort of thing, like as if, okay, we don't know what we're dealing with. It's sort of, you're thinking, oh, my God, we don't know what we're dealing with. Um, And it was very, very scary. But they've done very well. The hospital have done very well um, in helping and and they were very quick in finding the diagnosis. There's a lot of children that it took six years. They just thought they still had epilepsy and not until they really saw the cognitive decline that they actually realised it was Lafora disease. Some have a rapid decline and some have a slower decline. Sometimes there's just a bit of a different gene variant to the disease. Angelina's has happened quickly. It's we're just over two and a half years in now. Um, So she's in the high-risk area now of danger. Mm. So we're just always on guard the day and night. So we have cameras in the house to monitor movement and sound. So if she's in a room, you know, sleeping, which she she doesn't sleep on her own anymore. She has a bit too much anxiety. I think she's feeling that things are changing yeah so she 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 likes me near her all the time um but before that if she moved i'd check the camera if it beeped five times during the night i'd check her five mm-hmm. times during the night because of course i wanted her to have a, as normal life as possible being a teenager who wants their mother in their room yeah um or yeah. stuck to them all the time yeah. you know when you you're worried and also it all came with behavioral issues as well so a lot of the times there was she was refusing to eat refusing to cooperate, to, to shower, to get to a, a, an appointment. And partly it is from the what's happening to her brain to partly the medications that she's on because there's no real recipe. You're sitting there putting, you know, what what's worked for you, what's worked for you, let's yeah. try it and see if we get a right recipe, so to speak, um, on managing her symptoms. Mm. And that's, that's all we're doing. Do you think that she understand what's going on or, or does she do you think she, she yeah now Sometimes. that must be tough for it her yes yes because the seizures you know it's like a roller coaster sometimes she's got a high frequency of seizures sometimes she doesn't so it's like this minute or this hour is she good or is she not good or if you feel that she's more rational and cooperative or understanding you can have a conversation with her and discuss something that right. you feel you need to discuss and then sometimes it's like you you just can't. You just have to manage the symptom. Yeah. And yeah, but she has that. That she knows. Um, she doesn't know the timelines. Her timeline. Um, we said please. We don't want her to know that. Yep. Um, I didn't want her to know anything to be honest. But unfortunately, we we had to give her some sort of answer, some sort of clarity on what's going on. Yeah. Um, you know. You know. She can't go to school. So straight away she was in year nine. Um, had to pretty much stop school mm. and we would just go uh, when they diagnosed her they said you know make your bucket list and do it now mm. and then we even tried we went to we went to the snow 
because we loved going to the snow. Just go sand tobogganing. But let's just go up the ski lift first, you know. And um, what I didn't mention is with this disease, it also brings on photosensitivity. So she's um, flashing lights or bright lights are no good. So we had sunglasses on her that day and we went straight. We were there for 20 minutes, went straight on the ski lift. that we'll go up, see the top, then we'll come down and just toboggan and have some fun. And um, she had a seizure on the ski lift and um, that was pretty, pretty scary because there's no supports up there. So we had to hold her pretty tight so she wouldn't fall off. That Um, would be, uh, yeah, that would be scary that to... um... Yeah, uh, yeah, to deal with that. Yeah. Is she having a seizure? Like, So is it daily, the seizures? No. Um, she's got the seizures, the cognitive decline, So she yeah, and, and decision-making because it brings on childhood dementia. So the childhood dementia is just like, you know, in, in when you see it in your older parents, mm. which is, is horrifying enough to see dementia in, in, old, in, you know, aged people, let alone a young child. She can't make decisions. So just to get dressed, to pick a shirt um, or, um, you know, they, they don't want to eat. And then five minutes later they'll go, well, I'm hungry. Um, or, the, you know, they sometimes she'll go, where's the toilet? And she's standing right outside the toilet. Yeah. It's all very scary and worrying to see all these symptoms and slowly, slowly watching her progress. That's been very hard um, because the symptoms are getting worse mm. and time's running out. Uh, well, it must be hard for you. Like, you know, how tough is it just to leave the house and 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 to do things? It's nothing's normal anymore. And you know, so, no. can you explain no, like the, the 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 process of that? You know, it must. It's not like oh, I want to go down the shop. I want to go to the beach, or or and you just, you know pack up yeah. a, a few things and and walk out the door. No, no, we can't. Even if it's just me on my own, that's still difficult. I have a nurse here now um, that I have six days a week to come in the daytime, so we can function. Um, so I can go and get groceries, for instance, um, um, or get her to appointments. So even appointments before, a couple of months ago, she was having a lot of behavioural issues. So just to get her an, to an appointment was very difficult. They didn't need three of us to convince her to get dressed, to convince her that we've got to go. Um, and it'd be no, 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 no. So and then it's trying to get her in the car and then trying to get her to the appointment. So it, everything is just changed, even to, to have a normal dinner. Is, a, is an achievement, yeah. um, so to speak. We did change some medications a couple of months ago, which has calmed her. Um, so we can, she's a bit more cooperative now, so we can do a few more things in a, I don't know, almost normal manner, a uh, day of living. And just, it was just showering some days. We just, it would, there was one instance when the behaviour was so bad, we couldn't get her in the shower for eight days. Eight days, geez. Eight days, and, and, and it was so hard. And we're trying to even just wipe her down or anything, and it was no, 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 no. This disease affects their brain so much that it's just all over the place and, and her body. So there's times where she can't walk up the stairs, um, and then there'll be times when she can, but she's still not She's not walking like we would walk. Yep. She walks very slowly. She has to hold on because if, say, she has a myoclonic seizure especially, they just drop because her body just gives way so she okay. could just fall. Just collapses on the, on the floor, yeah. Yeah, so we always have to hold her, assist her up the stairs, assist her down. Even on a chair, we still monitor her because she could fall. She can't eat. We have to feed her. All grooming. Uh, getting dressed, we have to do everything. You're basically the full-time carer. 
like, how do you hold up to this? How, how how do you get through? Because you know, mentally, one seeing your daughter like that must be just would rip your heart out. But yeah. you've got to then be strong enough though to continue and and, and try and live yeah. as normal life as possible. What's helped me is I'm a fighter. I like mm. to fight, and I'm fighting to save her life mm. because I think that's I don't know anything else. To be honest, that's all I want to do to yeah. save her life. So I've become a parent advocate for the There's a Lepora Disease a Children's Research Fund um, that I'm a committee member now for, and we advocate. And I'm um, I'm more the patient uh, parent advisory. So I've got to meet a lot of families around the world to help them. We help each other for emotional support, medical ideas. What else can we do? How can we help these clinical trials and these therapies that they're working on? get quicker in i've been working with um an australian uh, company association called childhood dementia initiative they're actually uh, manly based as well so nice and local and they've been very very helpful and very supportive in we want to create awarenesses because there's about 70 rare diseases that childhood dementia sits under so that people don't know about and um other bigger associations of other diseases, they've got a lot of support. They've got a lot of resources. We don't. Mm. There's a lot of research happening for all different types of diseases, but not rare diseases that affect the brain. And, of course, when it affects the brain, there's there's these horrible dementia symptoms that are, are very traumatising. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of diseases that the, the children don't make it to their teens at all. Mm. Mm so to speak, and where we're fighting for all of them. You know, I, I want to save every child that, that has these symptoms. No child should suffer like this. No, that's right. It's it's, it's, it's traumatic and, and just it's heartbreaking just um, listening to this story. Um, I understand that there's currently no cure but work's being done to find one, but how far off do you think that is? Is, is it, you know, something that you don't know it, it's in the foreseeable future? It's... They're telling us this year that it's about a year, a year and a half away. But last year they told us it was 12 months away and this month was supposed to be the first clinical trial on Lepora disease on one of the therapies and it's been pushed back a year. Right. And this isn't the first time they get pushed back because there's so many processes that and, and so many requirements from the FDA. And, and that's what I think upsets me is like, the FDA control everything. Why is it up to the FDA? Why are there not other therapies around the world? In Australia, we're in the best country in the world, in my opinion. I love Australia. Yeah. What is what can Australia do? Is there research? Are there pharmaceutical companies that can help children with rare diseases over here? You know, Angelina can't fly because of inflammation. So the glycogen causes inflammation. And if her body inflames too much, it will cause an onset of long seizures. Yep. Now, if you're in flight, you can you know, what What can you do? Not much. And it's, it's, it's too high a risk for her to get on an aeroplane. So we can't fly to another country. And also COVID hasn't helped either yep. to, to get a treatment. But at the moment, there still is no treatment. They're a year and a half away. She couldn't fly if, even if we could. Mm. And a lot of the requirements require you to be at that site to have that treatment. Sometimes some clinical trials will allow the drug to be administered in a, in a particular hospital with approvals, but it's still so far away that mm. I, I just don't, I just 
don't know if she'll she'll make it for the trials for any any therapy. Yeah. What what country's the uh, the main one doing the um, research? The USA. Uh, they're the main ones, and Spain right. and Italy. Uh, it seems to be quite common in Spain and Italy for some reason. I'm not I'm not sure why, but there's more children. Not that there's many. Yep. Uh, last year there was only 40, and I think there's now only 70 registered patients around right. the world. So it is quite rare. Yep. But there is a more more of a population in Spain, Italy, and America mm. at the moment. Have they worked out what would trigger to cause the disease, or they're just that's just too far away to really understand at the moment? They believe it's a mutation in the gene. Right. That's that's what they've brought it down to, and they're trying they're trying to find a way to remove the Lafora bodies. So right. if it stops accumulating, then it won't make damage. Yep. So the quicker they can get to it, so later on when they find these therapies, they can put it in birth screening, so you can. Your, the child can be screened, and if they have showed that they've got Lafora disease, they can start getting therapies before the, the accumulation of the mm. glycogen starts. So then they will never get the symptoms and they can live a long, happy life. And that's the goal. Right. Um, but when you've already had damage, once you have these therapies, how much will actually uh, come back? Um, I do believe the, the brain can heal. Like I've done a lot of reading and neurons can be um, regenerated. So like just like brain, any kind of brain injury. So I'm, yeah. I'm hopeful yeah. that um, therapies, once the accumulation of the Lafora bodies go, that, that um, there can be a lot of healing done. Right. Obviously, uh, Angelina, you know, you've got siblings that, uh, you know, how do they deal with that? Because, I mean, they, one, you know, the, their mother, there wouldn't be as much attention towards them. Then they've also got to see what, what, you know, their sister's going through and how, how do you cope with that? Well, her older sister didn't cope very well. Once she got the diagnosis, she was at university, she was working, she stopped everything. Right. And then, you know, grief, everyone gets grief and in different ways. She sort of had anger, I think, more anger and resentment. So the thing, so she, she left and went to her father's for, for a while. Um, until she was ready to come back. Um, yep. and, but she's been, as much as it's still, hard, it's still hard every day, she's been very supportive and very helpful now and, and very close with her sister and, and helps her and spends time with her and is, very, you know, um, we, we're, of course, we're all on board. We, we're trying to help her, but um, it was very, very hard for her. Uh, her older stepbrother got, um, couldn't cope. He's 25. And, and um, he got a lot of anxiety and depression from it, and he couldn't. He couldn't. He needed to step back and reflect. Yep. You know. You know. Watch, watching her fade away is really, really hard because she wasn't like this before. Yep. It's not like you know she she was born with something and we're used to it, and that's all we know. You know, we know this bubbly, smart, happy child that sings and dances around the house all the time. And, you know, now now can't, can't even speak sentences, so to speak. You know, she's just very slow, very quiet, can't, can't do anything. We can't take her anywhere. Mm. We struggle to take her to a restaurant. We can't take her to the cinema anymore. You know, we tried to take her to Taronga Zoo about a year and a half ago and she had two seizures and there goes the ambulance. Every time we try and go somewhere, here comes the ambulance mm. again because she's had too many seizures. Just Yeah, so every time she has a seizure, she... 
I mean, obviously, me being a lifeguard, and I've dealt with a lot of people having seizures yep. at the beach, and generally, you know, yep. anyone who has a seizure then has to go to the hospital. Now, is that the case? Even though we, you know, the uh, when there's a second one, right? Um, now we do. If there's a second one, we do it. And plus, now she has been given a G tube, gastrostomy tube in the stomach, so we've got emergency medication. So after, right. if she has a prolonged seizure, we can administer emergency medication, okay. and we can get her somewhere safe. And then it, it depends if it goes longer. If it goes longer than five to ten minutes, then we call the ambulance. Right. But if or if she just keeps having them. So if each hour she keeps having them, we know we've got to stop them and we don't have the right medication yep. to – she needs stronger or more medication yep. to stop it because yep. they just spiral out of control. She'll have seven in one day and they just keep going. Right. So we try and, and nip it in the butt as quick as possible. Now, have you had medical training for this or that's just something you've learnt from, you know, you know doctors yep. telling you what to do and, and things like that? Yeah. No medical training, yeah. just learnt as as I've gone along. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I feel like a nurse these days. I mean, I, me and the nurse that I have at home, we do the same things. Yeah. You know, we're crushing meds, yeah. administering meds. You know, we've got – we're checking her blood pressure. We check her oxygen, you know, her temperature. It just – everything. We're always assessing everything. Yeah, I just feel like I'm a full-time nurse now. Yeah. Jeez, it must be tough. Even it, it, Yeah. Even the, the myoclonic seizures are actually worse than a, a generalised seizure. Um, if they get into a frequency of three to five every 10 seconds, we have to, if we've given an emergency med after an hour and it hasn't worked, we have to go straight to hospital right. to stop it because that's where the rapid de- decline happens and also she could get into a status. Uh, a status with epilepsy um, is one where you can, it becomes uncontrolled and you can't stop it and that's where it becomes fatal. So it's life-threatening every time. So sometimes we have like a two-hour window if we see how if if they're that bad mm. to get into hospital. Oh, it's crazy. It's it's yeah. It, it's I don't know how you deal with it. You know, you're you're a brave, tough person um, to deal with this sort of thing. And but I know that on the on the lighter side, my wife Karen um, invited you guys up to to see her horse, and and Karen was telling me about the story, but she said that. She could see the smile on her face to to interacting with the horses, and yeah, tell us a little bit about oh, that. She, oh, she loved the horses. She she because she's very quiet these days. You don't see her reactions anymore. She doesn't smile like she used to. It's her face is very straight. Mm. If that's the best way to put it. And she she just broke out in this laugh, and we just was like what, <laughs> <laughs> and um, smile like she, you could see the smile in her face, and oh. That was such a highlight to see those horses. Yeah, it really, I think it was very healing. Yeah. Very healing. Oh, that's great. Uh, also, um, you know, you, tell us about the work Bear Cottage does because obviously you, you've had to go to you know, Bear Cottage and a lot of people out there that don't know about Bear Cottage, um, you know, give yeah. us a little bit about that. Well, Bear Cottage is a palliative care cottage um, and it's for end of life for children or for um, limited life, life-threatening, you know, limited for, for children mm. um, conditions. So we were approached, you know, at the children's hospital that they have that facility for us, you know, for any respite that we need, we can go there. And of course, at first you're quite daunted, you know, why do I want to go to a place like that, you know, but it has been the most heartwarming, beautiful place that that Angelina wants to live there 
to yep. just to be honest. She wants to live at Bear Cottage. Yeah. <laughs> She's quite happy. The nurses are amazing. Um, the rooms are beautiful. They're nice, cosy bedrooms. You know, they have this beautiful bath room where they put them in this bath with relaxing music and it's like she's in a she's gone to the day spa for the day yeah. and it's just beautiful so she she loves it and then i get to have a break i don't get to have to look at the clock to crush meds and it or give her formula or bath her or feed her they do it all so you just sit there and get to rest you know you can have drink and have your cup of tea mm. you know eat you eat your dinner you know in in you know properly <laughs> So to speak, go yeah, for a walk. And, and, they go, go, go for a walk. We've got her on control. We're taking her in the bath. Go for a walk. So I'll go yeah. down to Manly Beach, go for a walk, go get a coffee, do a bit of shopping, and then yeah. walk back up. And it's like, wow, did I just get to go shopping? Did I just get to go have a coffee on my own? Like, yeah. uh, at first, it's quite daunting because it's like that separation anxiety because you're not used to it, mm. you know? Um, but, you know, by the end of the week, you feel so refreshed. It's an amazing place for children with life-threatening yeah. illnesses and for, for end of life. And I know it, it is mainly for end of life, but it doesn't feel like that. You don't feel that, oh, my God, you know, you're going to see things or worry about things or you, you don't. It just doesn't feel like that. It's just everyone's like a family. It's a really beautiful community in there. And, and I um, think it, it, and it, it puts life into perspective here. I mean, people listening out there are probably – thinking they're having a bad day today, you know, really think about what you're going through. And and no doubt there's other people out there going through, you know, things that are, are yes. on the same level. But, you know, a majority of the, of the population, you know, will whinge about something that's happened in the day, which is dead set, nothing that we should really worry about. And I think that's what I'm trying to get yeah. across is there's a lot – worst things out there and the things we worry about we shouldn't worry about and um you know kids these days growing up with mental health because of social media or whatever the the problems are there is nothing compared to this you know poor angelina and and what she's going through and then what you're going through as a parent you know we need to put it in perspective and and try and get you know people on board to help out with these diseases that you know, the politicians, the, the medical um, areas to try and push these through. I mean, we've done it with COVID with, you know, they've pushed things through as quick as they can, but there's a lot of other areas yeah. that need to be done at the same time. Yes. No, they do. They do. And I think mental illness is a very, very important thing to be looking at. And you, when you see it so strongly, especially in, in I'm seeing it in my child. And, and if you're not exposed to someone with mental illness, sometimes they're quiet, but sometimes you can see it, you know, yeah. and it's very scary what the mind can do and how worry and anxiety um, and all that can affect your body, mm. can affect your well-being. Um, and I think it's very important. And, yeah, awareness and exposure to, yeah, what other people are going through, such as Angelina or going to Bear Cottage, you know, because you go there and you're feeling daunted. You're like, oh, my God, I'm the only one. You know, that's how you feel. You go there and there's other families there that you get to talk to and they're all going through something different, you know. Some are there for the short term, some are in for a quite a, a ride, you know, and it is it is nice and you, you get a lot of relief from talking to these families as well, you know, and sh they, you tell your story, they tell yours and you, it, it, they tell theirs and you see, you know, what their child's going through or ha and 
it really helps when you you feel like you are the only one. And with Angelina, she is the only one, mm. especially with her disease. And I know there there isn't anyone with her disease around, but they but I still feel supported when I go to Bear Cottage. Mm. And when we leave, we feel refreshed. You know, because at home we're at the, in the four wars most of the time. We don't get out much, and to us it's like a holiday. Yeah. And and the support is amazing. They've got doctors there. They they even have a reflexologist come, a volunteer hairdresser comes, and she'll, they'll pamper her and do her hair. They'll even do my hair if I want my hair done. They just really um, they really make you feel good through the hard you know yeah. the hard days. Well, you know, they have superheroes days and, and things as well. And I said to Carl, you know, um, I'll, I'll work out a, a day to come down and I'm going to visit Bear Cottage and, and say hello to the kids and, and uh, spend a bit of time there in, in the near future. Yes, well, in July, the end of July, they've got Superhero Week and um, where all all the children come um, down for, I think it's on the Sunday they come down, but it's for the whole weekend and it's yep. a whole week. And they have Superhero Week, and um, yeah, all all families that do go there come down for the day as well. Um, and it's just it's beautiful, and yeah. um, they used it. Um, they've got Angelina as the sort of ambassador for the week, yeah. And that that helps raise money to keep the the cottage going because the cottage is run by donations, and without that, there wouldn't be a place like that. It's the only place in New South Wales, and I think only one of two in the whole of Australia. Mm-hmm. And there's not even many like that around the world. Yeah. So it's a very, very special place. Yeah, it is. And it's um, magnificent what they do. And Nikki, it's uh, a pleasure having you in the beach shack today. And, uh, you know, all the best for the future and, and stay in touch. And anyone else out there that, you know, wants to donate or be involved or, or has any sort of information, you know, a lot of listeners from around the world that listen to this podcast. Uh, may have something similar, may know of people in, in the same situation. So get in contact and uh, we can uh, go from there and hopefully uh, there's a cure not far away for um, for Angelina and, and hopefully she can, uh, you know, start making a recovery. Yes, I hope so. I hope I hope someone out there has a, a, a therapy or a cure as soon as possible and we, we, can, we can save her and many other children that are suffering so thank you very very much no i'm able to try and get it out there as much as possible and and you know stay strong um and congratulations on what you've been doing and achieving it's a amazing story and 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 i just can't even fathom how how tough it must be on a a, not a day-to-day basis it's a a minute-to-minute basis really and it's something that uh you know you should give yourself a, a a big pat in the back and and you know hopefully um what you've done and, and you deserve all the best and hopefully uh, for Angelina as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Thank today. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> what an emotional story that was. Thanks, Nikki, for joining me in the Beach Shack. Next up, Beach Banner. This week in the Beach Shack uh, for Beach Banter, I've got Tommy... And hello, mate. How are you? Hey, Hop. How's it going? Good, mate. You know, we do um, many, many rescues. I'm, I've done thousands trying to think about the other day, and I really can't get a number in. But what's a, a rescue that stands out for you, one of the best ones you can remember? Funny you say that because I was only down at Bondi for from 2016 to 2018, and I, I can't even remember how many I did in that time. So I don't know how you'd be able to try counting. 
<laughs> um, yeah, oh, my my rescue. I, there's one that sticks out most for me, and it was my first rescue. It was in middle of winter, 2016, rainy day, as they always are. As in, when you talk about a big rescue that's just come out of nowhere, and it was um it was North. We we're sitting in the tower, myself, Yatesy, Gonzo, Harrison, and um Beardy. And we had a knock on the door. And like, you know how we have the death knocks on the tower? Um, yep. For the, just the, you hear the only knock in an emergency, then you just hear this knock where you know, you go, oh, someone's someone's dropped dead somewhere. And it was a delivery man who had a delivery for Bondi Surf Club. And we, the boys were like, oh, that's over the road. Then he kind of gave the boys a bit of a mouthful for not taking the volunteer surf club's order. Right. And while he's giving the boys a mouthful, I've everyone's kind of looked at him like what's this guy's problem and i've looked up at the flags to a group of um group of kids that beardy said just keep an eye on these guys because you know they're they're only in waste deep water and they're playing around but that'll be sweet and i've looked back up and i've only seen foreheads and i've gone and i've looked put the binos on and i've just gone oh shit they're holding that kid up and i've sprinted out of the tower yates and harrison come flying behind me. I've jumped in a buggy and it was when we had, we just got a new Can-Am, didn't have a board rack in it. And the Can-Am that we had, the board rack broke the night, the afternoon before or something, one of the boys reversed and snapped off the board rack. So we had, didn't have a board rack on the buggies. So I've fanged it down. I've had to go past the flags to the north corner to grab that board to run back. As Yates and Harrison have come up with, you know, like the buggy with the other board on the back. And I've hit, I hit the water, but, you know, Yates, he, his big frame and his natural ability on the water, I reckon yeah. I hit the water about 10 seconds before him. And I just watched him just go flying past me. He got to the um, he got to three kids, and I've gone back for this fourth kid who was, kept his head up, and Yates jumped off the board. And I'm thinking, why is Yates ditching these three kids for this one kid? Like, I'm just about to get him. And then he just scooped up this fifth kid who was just fountaining out water, and he was I didn't even see him. He was under. And um, I've pulled up next to him, and this is my first rescue. And Yates, he'd already done 12, 13 years on the beach. And I've got him on my board. I've looked at Yates, I've gone, you're paddling him in. And I've just jumped off the board. I was not having a bar of paddling in someone with water fountaining out of their mouth as my first rescue. But I've I already pulled the chain, which um, for the signal that we've got to resus. And that was a bit daunting having to, I only just learned that signal the day before or something that I'm doing it. Yeah. And that signal means uh, pretty much done it. It means that uh, we need an ambulance. We need uh, pretty much their uh, unconscious. We need the uh, oxyviver. We need uh, also the defib. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's the signal, but what'd you think? uh, What'd you do after that? Yeah, I've done that. Yates, he's jumped on the board to paddle him in and I've grabbed the other four kids and I've like, I'm kind of got them all off pretty much an impromptu swimming lesson of hold onto the board and kick with your feet. And we're going back in. And Yate, by then, Yatesy and Harrison, Gonzo have got the, of dragging that kid up the beach. And as I've kept, I've kept getting these guys in, I've got to about chest depth and I've turned around. I saw um, Sean Tunney, one of the surf school instructors, walking out of the water and he was holding another kid who was just limping his arms. And I've gone, oh my God, there's another one. So I've like, told the got that really started yelling at these kids to kick and I'm like drag I'm chest deep and dragging these kids in and I've looked at this lady and she's gone I'm in the surf club I said make sure all I've, I've pretty much grabbed all their hands and made all their hands hold the rope on the rescue board and I've said make sure all four of these kids get in because I've got to go to get that up because Sean was walking up the beach so I've 
body surfed in behind him and pretty much got to the shore with him. And we've dragged this kid up the beach and he was not conscious but breathing. And um, I've looked over and the other boys, we've whippet, whippet showed up out of nowhere. You know how that happens with our resuscitors where yeah. you see a lot of guys just pop up out of the sand really on a day off. And um, we ended up, my guy who I had, we bagged him and bre- like we're breathing for him pretty much until he went off in the ambo. And um, the other guy, he was, the defib wouldn't shock him. And um, it was lucky we had, a, there was a nurse there from St. Vincent's who was able to get an air, he had lockjaw. So when people were unconscious, not breathing, practically dead, their jaw locks shut. And um, had a off-duty nurse from St. Vincent's who was able to use the Ambos kit to get a nasal airway in so they were able to breathe for him. And uh, yeah, they both got rushed off to hospital. And um, yeah, that was one of my, that was my very first rescue at Bondi. So talk about thrown in the deep end. And, and in the cold end of the pool because it was middle of winter. It was probably a maximum of 13 or 14 degrees that day and I'm running around in my boardies in the water. <laughs> well, that's uh, mate, uh, thanks for uh, giving us that rundown, that rescue. And, uh, yeah, mate, I remember it was a, a, a very, very good one and, and a, your first one, which is uh, always good to remember. Yeah, it was one that uh, I'll, uh, I'll keep that one with me for the rest of my life and uh, – yeah, it goes to show that the rainy days are the days you still have to pay attention as a lifeguard because as much as I would have loved to have stayed in my trackies all day, it was you just got to do what you got to do. 100%. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for uh, Thanks, popping Tommy. in, mate. Thanks, mate. Take it easy. How fun was that? Now up next, I answer letters from the fans. This uh, letter's from Liz, and she's from the UK. What life experience do you think has had the single most influence on your life? Well, I suppose uh, I did get caught uh, drink driving once, and that uh, was probably rock bottom there and and really changed my life and made me realise how uh, easy things can go wrong. So looking back, I think uh, that experience um, had a massive influence uh, on my life moving forward and and uh, especially not been able to drive for for uh, 14 months and then uh, riding a push bike, which uh, was tough going, especially through the winter months and uh, and the rain and everything. But it really uh, you know, helps looking forward and, and realising your mistakes and uh, not doing the same thing again. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, Beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.